evening, Hostel Tevere. May I please speak with Giles? This is Giles. Giles, we gotta do the uh, opening. I finished my martini. I'm at the olives. Alright, so how's it gonna go? It's gonna be like, hey everybody, thanks again for coming back to Landline Podcast. I'm your host, Alex McKay. On today's show, we have Cocktail Hour with Giles. What do we talk about, Giles? We, we talk about booze and the wonderful things that it does and the excellent concoctions you can make with them. We got martinis, we got hot toddies, we got books for your children with weird messages. Yeah, subversive kids' books. And um, a long talk about how the laundromat is a huge waste of your time and money. Yeah, opportunity cost. So enjoy the show and thanks so much for stopping by. More information on www.talkforaliving.com and on soundcloud.com slash landline podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye. Later. Landline. Yo. How's it going? Good friend, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for coming. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. What's happening? Well, you know, the normal Saturday. There's no no snow, so there's not a lot of people in town. So I'm just kind of, you know, putzing around, getting the bar ready. My wife's in the kitchen uh, making some soups and cookies and all sorts of fun things. And, uh, yeah, we're just, you know, back at it. Winter season. Giles, you own a small business that is dependent on the weather, and yep. you sometimes have terrible weather. What yep. is what is the management of your stress? How has the management of your stress changed over time? With regards to like uh, the business and and the levels of business based on the weather. Yeah, well, I used to own a small business that was dependent on concert and festival crowds. Yeah, and I would prep pizzas all week long trying my best to figure out how many people were going to come buy brick oven pizzas from me mm-hmm. and then i would have a mental breakdown if it didn't go the way i thought it would until year three when it started going better and i also started managing my expectations better but you like physically can't control the x factor that makes people come to your business which is snow yeah. so like how have you? How has your reaction to that universe changed from year one when you're probably counting every? I mean, I know you're still counting every penny, but you—it's the long game, right? You get to figure out whether you had a good winter or not in on April first, not on yep. December eleventh. Yeah, no, and that's you know you're in for the long haul, and that's uh, something we've come to realize. I mean, this is our seventh winter, so in that sense, a lot of the the systems and the stuff that's in place have been in place for three, four, five, six years, depending on what it is. So it's easy enough, I guess, is the right way to put it, for us to kind of hold things down and, and keep things going here. You know, you get a good music lineup together, you, you know, do some good things with the food, and it's all, you know, then it's just a matter of wait and hope it snows. And uh, some years it does and some years it doesn't. And I think it's... Uh, one of the big problems around here is, is people being short-sighted and saying, oh, my God, there was so much snow in December last year, when there was, but not that much. You know, we had, like, two really big snowfalls last year, late November, early December, and all of a sudden there was, like, four feet of snow on the ground. It was crazy. 
but then it didn't snow again until Christmas. And then it rained two days later, and then it warmed up, and then it got cold again and never warmed up. But the the snow thing, it happens. It's going to snow. You know, it's, it's just a matter of when and how much, and the mountain does the best it can to make snow and get people up there. But in the end, you're here, so you can only be as prepared as you can be. Like you said, you, you kind of go crazy at first because you're like, oh, man, I'm doing all these things right, or I think I'm doing them right, and nobody's coming, or... It's it's not busy enough, but then at the end, you, you don't control anything. It's like having a restaurant. You don't control when people come in or who comes in. Yeah, but with a restaurant, you can control the quality of the food, the atmosphere, the branding. The... Sure, but that doesn't mean people are going to come in. People still have to make this decision on their own to come and, and patronize your establishment. Right. I think there is a significant difference, though, in your business, which is that people come to stay there while they're doing something else for the most part, whether it's skiing or exploring the area or now there are some customers who come to stay at a Vermont hostel in a repurposed farmhouse for sure. But you would probably admit that those aren't your core customers. Your core customers are people who have a season pass to sugar bush. Yeah. The snow hounds, the guys who are, you know, chasing the snow. So I was just thinking like, what could be an activity that you offered so that if, a, like, I was thinking beach volleyball, sort of joking myself, but, yeah, I mean, but like, what, what is the best alternative to skiing that you could offer somebody so that they would still want to come up? And obviously drinking is a pretty good alternative. Yeah, I mean, I could say snowboarding and be a total asshole, but um, the best alternative... Uh... I mean, it, it's going to take longer than this phone call to figure it out, but that, that would be amazing, like... I'm just trying to think of all those businesses in the world that are dependent on the weather, and there are tons yep. of them. If you, well, that, it's, it's seasonal around here. You know, like half the businesses are really busy in the summer um, because of the way their business model is set up, and then the other half are really busy in the winter. It's a really, it's a really weird kind of a dynamic that exists around here, and it's, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Well, the the Jay Peak model for those listeners who don't know, Jay Peak is a relatively big ski area in northern Vermont, all the way yeah, up right to, on the border with Canada. Yeah, and uh, I don't know a ton about it, but I know they have a humongous water park there. Yeah, they invested a, a fuckload of money. They have, I want to say, they've got an Asia, a group of Asian investors, and I think they're Japanese or Chinese, but I'm probably wrong. They're probably Korean or whatever. But they invested in the tens of millions of dollars because they're like, wait a second, we're in the middle of nowhere. And we only have business, you know, five months out of the year because of the snow. we got to figure out how to make this sustainable year-round. And uh, they did a really good job. And they've got, like, a sweet concert hall there now, supposedly. And their music series in the summer is, is getting better and better. Uh, they've really, you know, they've stepped up their game. They've realized what it takes to be a year-round operation in Vermont, and, and they're doing it. And I applaud them for it. It's great. So there's that investment visa, which I'm now looking up because I forget. And if we yep. had a, it's like a, something B A two B three CPO whatever E yeah. two visa. And you're absolutely right. There's a bunch of E two visa money up at J Peak, and that's how they built it all. Where you invest, I think at least five hundred thousand dollars, and you get a green card. Yeah, and they did it for a bunch. I think it was a bunch of Asian dudes. Um. Well, welcome back to Cocktails with Giles, or the Cocktail Hour with Giles. Which, nice. which is it? The Cocktail Hour. Yeah, I think it's got to be the Cocktail Hour. So Giles and I haven't spoken for a while because I've had uh, a crazy last month of business school. I finished exams this week, and that is uh, an interesting experience. It's one I haven't had for about 10 years. First so, semester in the books. 
first semester, the front half of the front nine, as somebody said, in true MBA lingo. Wow. Um, so, but we're podcasting today, and usually we'd make ourselves a cocktail, drink it, and talk about it, but we're doing this in the afternoon, and I'm going to yoga after this, so we're not drinking. What we are going to do is discuss some delicious holiday cocktails that you can make at home. Easy, simple. Simple, easy. I'm going to go get the stuff to make one after yoga and maybe record the VO for the episode after I've had half of one. Nice. And um, something that we, we felt like we want to do a little bit of, not necessarily Christmas Eve cocktail, but more holiday party, middle yep. middle of the, of the month, um, you know, going out with friends from work, going out with friends from school, getting together with your coworkers, or just having a festive cocktail party on a Saturday night. These are some easy treats that you can make. So with that, I'll let you take it away with some ideas and we can get into it. Yeah, I mean, we were when we were uh, doing a little pre-production, we were talking about easy things and things that people could, could do on their own at home and doesn't take a lot of stuff. And then it was like, ooh, we could do a hot and a cold, or just like, you know, a warm drink and a regular drink. So the warm drink we're going to talk about is a hot toddy, which is people, you know, I think everybody knows what a hot toddy is, but it's just like heated up whiskey with a little bit of sugar and, and lemon. Um, but there's some real simple things you can do to make your hot toddy freaking amazing. Um, and it's a simple two-ounce pour of Jameson um, right into, if you've got one of those like glass tea glasses with the handle, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Now, where do you 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 like those? I know, like you. Where do you stand I, on I, the on the see-through mug? I do. I like them for hot toddies. I like them for hot drinks at a bar because it's um, it definitely if you do it right, it looks good. That's you know? true, and it makes other people want it. Yeah, like when you make a fucking banging Irish coffee. I mean, we could talk about one of those too. But you like take the cream, you put it in the little water bottle, you shake it up real quick so it gets all you know like whipped up, and then you pour that on top. You shave a little chocolate on it, and fucking oh, that shit's the best. And then people want it. But then it's like, oh man, I just unleashed a beast and I have to make ten of those. But you know, whatever, that's the job. So but, quick, quick sidebar. There's a place called McMenamins in Oregon, which has like 50 pubs. They've bought all these old Catholic properties, literally, uh, around Oregon and Washington, turned, like, defunct schools and all these places into bars and restaurants and Turkish baths. They're a cool company. That's cool. Um, but what in, in Bend, where I lived for four years, there was a nunnery in the back of this old Catholic school um, where the bar only played Grateful Dead. Like a convent room? Like yeah, a- exactly. So it's called a nunnery. So it's like, a, you know, I don't know, probably 35 feet by 20 feet. Yeah, enough sh- to fit a bunch of cots. Shed in the, in the back. Um, and, uh, you know, roaring wood stove, a couple wooden booths. The only music they were allowed to play was the Grateful Dead. That was like part of the branding of it, which was, yep. I think, made the bartenders furious. <laughs> but they would have Spanish coffees. And they would, I guess, what is it? On the top, it's not 151, but some some Spanish or Moroccan, maybe there's a Moroccan coffee too, and they would end up uh, lighting it on fire and then, um, you know, using the nutmeg and cinnamon and sprinkling it over by hitting the two metal containers against each other, and then the, the cinnamon and nutmeg would sparkle. Um, crackle, crackle, crackle. Exactly. So that's the kind of work that you're talking about and then everyone at the bar would get one and 45 minutes later the guy was just like fuck this job i hate oh yeah you're done with it yeah Mm -hmm. but that's you know again it's part of the job i I used to just 
spies, people I worked with in Rome, you'd get a group of like, you know, 15 Italian teenagers that would come in and it'd be like 10 mojitos, two caparinas, and three daiquiris. <laughs> and they'd be like, fuck. And I'd be like, dude, you just got 25 minutes of mindless work. You don't have to think about anything. You don't have to talk to anybody. You mm. just put your nose down and you make 15 drinks. Interesting. Like, it, it, I don't understand what the big deal is. Like, you are a bartender. This is your job. <laughs> and yet you're like pissed when somebody comes in and like asks you to do it. Right. Be like if you worked like in finance somewhere and your boss was like, hey, I need you to move a much money from this account to this account, and you got pissed. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's the difference. Yeah, no, like I think this is. I think that's one thing with cocktails is you can get really fucking complicated, like overly complicated. And so the idea with the two we're going to talk about today is like simple, simple, easy, make it at home. It's totally simple. All right. So, so hot toddy. Now hot toddy. again, I won't let you get very far. That's what? Okay. Is toddy just like is do you actually and you can say no? Do you know the history of the word toddy? I mean, is I it don't. any hot drink? Because there's cold toddies. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's like a, the, it's a southern whiskey thing. I'm pretty sure. Is it just whiskey and water? Well, because like, I remember this. Because there's also now the toddy coffee thing. Yeah, I mean, and then you got like the rum coffees and. No, but toddy coffee is like cold. All right, a hot toddy, also hot toddy and hot toddy, as well as hot whiskey in Scotland, is typically a mixed drink made of liquor and water with honey, herbs, and spices and served hot, like you said. So it doesn't even have to be. Yeah, no, but what is the etymology here? The Dublin-born physician Robert Bentley Todd was known for his prescription of drinking a hot brandy. So it's just got to be. I'm sure it's just anything hot. All right, so you you like it with Jameson, you were saying. Yeah, I use Jameson. But uh, you get one of those clear tea glasses. They're probably like 8 ounce, maybe 10 ounce if you got a huge one. Drop like a tablespoon of um, white sugar, um, the stuff that dissolves really easily, right in with the whiskey. Stir it up a little bit. It's not going to dissolve completely. And then go get water out of like a tea kettle, I don't know, 4 to 6 ounces, depending on how strong or weak you want your drink to be. Pour that in right over the top, stir it up with the spoon. And then the key is not just lemon. Um, and what you do is you cut a lemon wheel, you know, like a whole uh, cross-section of lemon. Chop it in half so you've got two little, you know, half moons. And uh, make them a little bit thick, probably like a half inch. And then take whole clove pieces mm. and punch like five of them into the little the fruit sections where the pulp is. And drop that right on top and just let it steep. Like put a coaster over it. And let it steep for like a minute. Delicious. And it's, dude, I'm telling you, it is one of those drinks where if you got a cold or you feel a cold coming on or you're, you know, you're looking for a pick-me-up, but you don't know where you want to go. And you're like, I don't need a Red Bull vodka and I don't need, you know, like espresso. Just drop a hot toddy and it just, it just warms you up and makes you feel good. And even though it's, you know, 50 degrees out right now and it's not cold. Right. That's a big, the, if, if you had, if you bought stock in hot toddy, um, Wow, I just really blew that one. <laughs> if, you, if you bought stock in Hot Toddy in August, you are just you're you're scratching your hair out right now. You're wondering when it's finally going to get cold because there have been a lot less Hot Toddies sold than you thought there were. Yeah, um, the Hot Toddy market is but down. But it doesn't have to be a seasonal. I mean, a uh, Christmas thing though. You could drink Hot Toddies whenever, well into April, depending on how the weather goes in your neck okay. of the woods. Um, they're, really, they're really nice to have like by a campfire. Yeah. 
have it outside when you can sit and like you can see the steam coming off the top of it and you got to like wear mittens to hold it still now for the anti-sugar lobby which is growing by the day are you cool uh, with maple syrup or honey or the dreaded agave nectar in well, place uh i mean that's all about the sweetness you're going to have then and the, and the flavor that's going to come through you know with the simple white sugar it doesn't really affect the taste of the whiskey in, in any i mean it sweetens it a little bit but jameson is already you know a relatively sweet whiskey what other liquors if people aren't jameson fans would you be cool with i bourbon is fine i mean i guess yeah, anything you could do any i mean literally you could do anything yeah anything that'll like go well with warm water that's like good watered down like that's the like, same thing with those rum drinks like the buttered rums and all that shit it's just rum hot water and then you drop a pat of butter on top I mean, that's simple as it comes all right so what is a hot buttered rum it's just rum water and butter literally it's i i was making some last winter for some people that were like getting into them and it's just a weird you literally take a padded butter and you drop it on top and it like you know uh, melts and forms this like delicious foam that you only get you know a little bit every time you sip but it's oh man so it's good they're good that could be an artisan cocktail in Vermont. You could get some like super small batch yeah, like churn butter, rum, maple rum. Oh man, yeah, maple rum butters. Yeah, that's a, the Vermont. Oh, now, see, now I'm gonna be that guy. who's gonna be like, fuck, I'm gonna have to make twenty of those tonight. <laughs> you should do that. That should be a signature cocktail you develop and tell us about on the podcast how it sells. I'll work on it. Now, another thing I was just thinking is for the hot toddy, if you did want to make, you know, you can always make a pitcher of margaritas or like a pitcher of Bloody Marys. But if you are having a party at home, I think you could probably have a different taste, get some sort of core ingredients um, in a pitcher that would consist of the liquor, Mm -hmm. the sugar, Mm -hmm. the, the cut fruit, the wheels of lemon, or you could even do orange with the cloves. Now it's not gonna have it's not gonna extract in the same way that hot water would, but you mm-hmm. could put that in the you know on the countertop. Don't need to go in the fridge for four or five hours while you're getting all the the apps together. Yeah. And then you could get a hot kettle going, and when everyone when you need twelve hot toddies at home, you just oh. pour pour out two inches into a bunch of coffee cups lined up, and then top them with the water and serve. One hundred percent. Not bad, right? Yeah, or you could get it in one of those like uh, those old school coffee urn things. They right. used to they have they have at AA meetings and shit. Right. Or at least the ones that you see in the movie. Yeah, if you're at an AA meeting and you're like, you know what, this isn't for me, and I'm gonna start drinking again. What you should do is stay till the end and then swipe the coffee urn because you're already gonna go down through a terrible spiral from here on out anyways exactly. bring it home wash it out get some puro calf to make sure that that coffee taste is really out of it and then uh make a hot toddy carafe dude all right so that's our hot cocktail the hot toddy just yep it's simple sugar liquor hot water citrus spice yep. that's it you can't screw it up i'd say the I mean, only you can but you well, shouldn't well, how, I mean, what would the number one rule for the, 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 uh, the petrified cocktail ma- maker who, who wants to make a good, what's the number one thing to keep in mind? Just don't, I would, put too much, don't put too much sugar in. Yep. And don't put too much water in because you can always make it weaker. You got to make it stronger. You got to add more booze. I mean, that's not a bad thing either, but. Yeah. So it's hard to screw up. Yeah. Just, you know, make it to taste. Put some water in, taste it. If it's, you know. Not weak enough or too strong, whatever, add a little more. 
and always a hit with the ladies, by the way. Yeah, dude. Hot toddies just go over well. Um, secondly, drink. we're thinking about a cold drink. Yep. For the for the holiday work party, going out with friends that you wouldn't normally see, or having a cocktail party at your house. Yep. And we were talking about martinis. Yep. Now, I, it's a classic. I see a flaw in that it's a lot, once again, to make for everyone if yep. you're at home. Yep. But ta- walk us through making a martini correctly because I feel like there's so many bad martinis being made in the world. And yeah. I have a few very passionate points of view regarding They just shouldn't be called martinis, you know what I mean? I like a vodka martini, whatever, it's a vodka martini. We don't have to, you know, split hairs. But... Anytime you're adding like crazy liqueurs or milk or chocolate or some sort of fruit, then just call it something else, and it's just served in a martini glass. Right. I think that the whole martini label just literally comes from the glass, at, at least in this day and age. People yeah, but aren't it's ordering a martini thinking, "Oh, I'm getting a, a gin martini." How often is it? how many martinis get ordered at the bar? Depends on the night. It's another one of those drinks where somebody sees you make a good martini, and they're like, "Oh." Well, then I'll have a good martini. Where do you feel like you learned how to make a good martini? In Rome? Yeah, probably. My buddy who owns the Botticella, um, Giovanni, he makes a killer martini, and I just kind of was like, hey, let's, let's talk about this. And he kind of you know, talked me through it as, as to why he does everything he does, and I've kind of just kind of adopted his method. And it's pretty simple, and it's, it's, it's pretty uh, surefire. Like, it always works. So basically, shaker, um, you know, glass with ice, and and this is you know the first step is always the weirdest for martinis because people you know with the vermouth and they're trying to figure out what they're supposed to say or how they like it or what it is. Vermouth is just like a, a viscous, I don't know, dry sits there and, and and makes the martini basically more drinkable because otherwise it's just it's just cutting the booze basically. Because a real, I mean, martini straight up, extra dry, is just gin, cold. <laughs> it's, it's a cold bowl of gin. Yeah, basically. It's just cold booze. A martini martini is the word that was developed in order for alcoholic, functioning alcoholics in Connecticut to order a cold bowl of gin. Yeah, instead of being like, oh, the gin on the rocks, because that's just weird. It's, um, yeah, you just, the vermouth thing is... Can I pause you for one second? Go nuts, man. Can you turn that music down in the background? Oh, yeah, my wife's in the kitchen rocking up. Or do you? can you move to another part of the house? Oh, I'll just shut the door. Or I can turn it down, too. Did you hear it? I think she's listening to Electronic Holidays Radio. Killing it. Dun, 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 dun. Sorry. All right, cool. <laughs> Sorry. Is that better? It's great. I mean, I. it's almost like I wish it was louder or quieter, but where it was was going to be something that pissed people off. Um, yeah, just be annoying music in the background. All right, so 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 where are we at? So you got the vermouth. Yeah, vermouth. So what I like to do is pour like a half ounce over the ice um, and then shake it with the shaker just like two or three times just to basically bruise it and then strain it off the ice. So basically dumping it all down the drain except for what's adhered and kind of attached itself to the ice. And then add your booze. Interesting. So you're, you're basically making vermouth ice. Yeah, and then that I found is what kind of uh, keeps it on the level with everyone. 
So anybody who likes martinis, you know, most people want a little bit of vermouth, but they don't want a lot. Some people like them really wet, and they're like, I want, you know, an ounce of vermouth. And you're like, all right, whatever, man, however you want it. But for the most part, by straining off the vermouth, it's, a, it's not so boozy that it's, you know, ridiculous, but at the same point, the vermouth isn't overpowering the gin or the vodka. Then you're putting in two, three ounces of, I mean, this is, you know, everyone knows this. This isn't like, this isn't rocket science. People know yeah, how to make like a getting martini. Getting a double shot and then drinking it, you know, cold. And, and like, to feel like a pro, you just pour until you feel like it's the right amount, right? I mean, you know exactly how much you're going to get that'll make the glass full but not too full. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's just practice. That's repetition, muscle memory, all that stupid stuff that you just do over and over and over. And then you're like, oh. That's what two and a half ounces out of a bottle feels like. And do you put olive juice in with it, or only if they request it dirty? Uh, only if they request it. Again, they're the one drinking it, so however they want you to make it, you make it. And I've got I've got one guy who wants me to like he has me rinse the olives. I don't know why he doesn't like olive juice. He just wants cold gin. He's like, will be very very particular. Say hey, grab the shaker, ice gin do not shake do not stir just let it sit for five minutes until the outside of the shaker has that like ice buildup on it and then you just strain it right into the glass over the olives that have been rinsed in water so there's no brine or anything on them and you don't get pissed off when he does this no whatever he's paying for it <laughs> takes freaking two minutes to do not even so like what happens when you take that attitude to like a hipster bar where people are being complete douchebags like from well, from a customer standpoint, so you've served ten thousand cocktails, probably a hundred thousand cocktails in your life, whatever. Who it knows? Is. Yeah, I mean, bartending almost fifteen years. Yeah, you are a little bit of a fish out of water in where you are currently living because you're basically affable and generally nice because you're from Wisconsin and you don't understand why you would need to be mean as your first reaction to anything. However, you live in a region of the country where being a bartender a lot of times means being a dick. Yeah. So when you, I mean, do you guys ever go, I know you have a young child now, but do you ever go out to a, to a bar in New York or a bar in Boston or a bar even like a craft cocktail bar in, uh, on the Cape or wherever you are and you sort of just laugh to yourself about all of the attitude surrounding creating something that really isn't that complicated? Yeah, I mean, it's, the industry has become very polarized. You have people, I would say, like myself, who are pretty chill and and pretty relaxed about it. And like a gin and tonic is a gin and tonic. You know, a Manhattan is a Manhattan. An old fashioned is an old fashioned. There's just there's the drinks that you make, and you don't really fuck with. Like, and that's what I feel like a lot of people want to do now is they want to make you know a blood orange uh, margarita gimlet. It's like, what the fuck is that? Like what are you what are you trying to accomplish here? And I get it, it probably tastes it probably tastes great. And most of the time those drinks do taste good, but sometimes it's just it's just a way to charge more money, basically. Right. You know. We were we were in Santa Barbara for Thanksgiving. My whole family went out and uh we went out Saturday night, left the baby with my parents and me and my brother and his wife and my wife went out with their buddy. And we went out for sushi. It was fucking killer. We had a great time. And, and we went to this bar afterwards. That was one of these crazy new age cocktail bars. And they probably had four or five pages worth of drinks. 
and they had a great liquor selection. They had a great selection of Amaros and um, pastises. They had like three or four different pastises that I hadn't seen before. And But their cocktail list was crazy, and these guys were taking, I don't know, five minutes to make one drink. And I'm thinking in my head, like, how do you – I mean, there were four bartenders working a bar that's maybe – one and a half times the size of my bar. And you know how big our bar is. Sure, it's... Like eight seats, nine seats. Right. So this was four dudes behind a bar all making these kind of crazy cocktails. And I bet they were pumping out like 15 drinks per guy an hour. And this place was packed. And it's just like, as, as a person who owns a bar, I'm sitting there going like, dude, if you guys cut these drink-making periods in half, this place with revenue would be out of control. Right. And I just sat there and drank really good Japanese whiskey because for some reason they had shit that like normally you'll see in like New York City or Boston that's like $30 a glass that was like 14 bucks a glass I was like uh yeah, yes please amazing so I ended up getting fucking hammered on Japanese whiskey but that was alright it was cool but you don't it doesn't you basically it's just not in your blood to care you don't you're never trying to like have a pissing contest with someone behind the bar who you know is basically worse at what they do but installed in a more uh you know classically well-to-do establishment you know what i mean it's like they're they're up on a they're up on a stage that's different than the stage you're on yeah because they're in like you know santa barbara and there's rich people around ultimately yeah but at the same point they're just guys doing their jobs too like i had a really great conversation that night with one of the guys behind the bar and it was merely about we talked about like Vermont beer and Japanese whiskey. Yeah. So in the end, it just depends on the place you're working and, and what the vibe is there. And if their vibe is take forever to make a drink and we're going to charge you $16 for it, then that's their vibe, I guess. Yeah. It, it's hard. You know, you don't see, like we're not in New York City. I'm not in a situation where every day I get to see these new cocktail bars and craft beer bars and whatever pop up and, and turn out and, you know, basically go from the ground up and see how they develop and, and figure out how the business market works and things like that. So I don't have, like, a great perspective on the whole cocktail scene like you're probably getting down in Watertown, Mass. I mean, I'm sure they've got a thriving cocktail scene there. <laughs> well, I went to this bar that uh, Anna was out of town last weekend, and I was lonely guy, and I was studying for my exams, and I just couldn't be in my house anymore. I needed to, like, take you know, 14 pages of microeconomics someplace and just pound through it with my financial calculator. So I went to Not Your Average Joe's, which is a mini chain of upscale Red Robins, basically. Um, You know, classic beer on tap, cocktails, burgers, chicken sandwiches, salads, uh, a couple entrees, but it was good. It was good. And it had, I sat at the bar and there was a thriving cocktail uh, culture going on, which I of which I did not partake. I had a Bud Light and then a um, Sierra Nevada Harvest because Ooh. they didn't have any good local beer on tap. Yeah, well, and I think Sierra Nevada's brewing now in Asheville anyway, so it's kind of... Yeah, their new least... place got opened, I'm pretty sure. So, and that, that beer is tasting great. I don't know if you've had one this year, but... The Harvest? Yeah, it... I had one oh, probably a month ago. It, it was not, I thought it was going to be super malty, sugary. It was not. It was almost tart. I feel like they. No, that beer's definitely chilled out over the last couple of years. Yeah. 
which is uh, yeah I, rem I remember it when we first moved here and started getting sierra products that it was it was super malty and it was almost like a borderline amber and now it's uh it's mellowed itself out it's just a good ale so we went to this place on friday for a beer yesterday it was friday i finished my last exam handed it in we went and walked the dogs did a bunch of errands Anna took the rest of the afternoon off and we went to this place called hopsters in newton mass which is half beer bar and half make your own beer so for instance there was a holiday party going on of like a small law firm or something like that nice. and they had rented a big table or gotten you know a bunch of pizzas they paid some minimum and gotten pizzas and salad but they were brewing a batch of beer and so the way this place works is they have brewers helping you choose one of 35 or 40 recipes they have all the equipment. They have all the ingredients. You brew your own nine-gallon batch of beer. It ferments in the basement for two weeks, and then they force carbonate it and bottle it for you, and you can come pick it up. Okay. And I think it costs, I don't know, 250 or 300 bucks, which is a lot, but if you think about the opportunity cost of getting all the equipment of brewing, the ingredients, the time, yeah, for, sure. for people who aren't actual brewers, it's a good deal. Yeah, it'd be cool for like a bachelor party or something. But sort of a weird business model that I wondered, like, what was they were that you know the the GM guy was just like a total classic, clean cut local who was almost cool. He was like thirty percent short of being cool, and by that I mean he would tell us stories like he was sitting at the bar and we were bartending. And it was a weird dynamic of, yeah, and then I did this, and then my girlfriend, and then this, and then, you know, her friend said that, and this and that. And it's like, it's 3.45 on a Friday, guy. Like, what is going on right now? Um, and they'd never heard of any beers from Oregon, including the guy had never, the guy was a general manager. He'd never heard of Bend, Oregon. And I just feel like that might sound so snobby of me to say, but. If you're running like a, a beer education center slash bar, don't you kind of want to be in the know? Or is that just like such a hipster thing to think that the world like has all these little connections that you should pay attention to? It makes me wonder where that, what industry that guy was in before. You know, like if you're saying he was clean cut and he was almost cool, I'm picturing like that younger 40s guy executive who was probably made some good money somewhere and they needed like an investment guy who was also smart with money in the books and they're like we'll just make this guy a gm and he'll help the business and the cool guys were actually in the back making the beer yeah there were some cool guys making the beer for sure um but the beer wasn't that good that we were drinking we weren't drinking people's beer that they had made but we had some of the beer and it's just it's interesting i don't know what it is but why do vermont beer is delicious and then there's some good beers, but is it just the water? Because, like, so much of the West Coast beer is just decidedly better than the East Coast beer. I'm yeah, sorry. I mean, that has to be a major part of it, considering water is, you know, whatever, 90% of beer, um, you know, in terms of the ingredients and what goes into making it. So that has to play a massive role in it. You know, they, they talk about the aquaphor that we sit on, that, you know, where Sean Lawson gets his water from and Sean Hill gets his water from. And you know, Zero Gravity and Fiddlehead and all these breweries, you know, Foley Brothers, that are just blowing up and making them incredible beers. And it does, it seems like it doesn't even matter what the style is or if they've made it before. Like, it's just a winner every time. Um, and But you guys have the same thing going on around Boston. You've got Trillium, you've got Night Shift, and you've got Treehouse. 
that are all destroying the beer industry. And, and I say that in the sense of they're all expanding rapidly. They're all keeping up with this demand that is seemingly endless. And they're all making fucking good beers. Like, Treehouse's lineup, their canning line now, you know, they're putting out Hayes, Green, Julius, Alter Ego, that's what she said, um, Lights Out. Like, and these are all in cans, and they're all 10s. They're all phenomenal beers. Trillium, basically anything they touch turns to gold. I guess they're opening the new tasting room in Boston. Well, I I met out. that I met that guy a year before he opened when I was trying to sell Aaron's produce and have yep. that be a distribution location. And I knew that he was going to do well because he was clearly I think he might be French Canadian originally, but he yeah, was I don't know their story. he left a software thing and he was doing it all right and he really knew a lot about beer. So I'm not surprised to hear about that. Yep, they're fantastic. And then Night Shift just brews all these crazy styles and Weisses and Sours and Stouts. And they're just, again, another company that, that is doing great. So I never heard of the of two of the three, so it just goes to show you that I don't, I don't know anything. Yeah, and, and like Treehouse, is, Treehouse has got, I want to say, two or three beers in the top 20 on the Beer Advocate 250, which is unheard of. I mean, that's like Hill Farmstead level. So, so Treehouse, Trillium, and what's the third? Night Shift. All right, so if we were actually good at, like, promoting ourselves and doing yep. something, what's the next step? We, we tweet at them. We tweet at Night Shift that we podcast about them, and then do they care? Like, I, mean, we just... I, could call the guy, I could call Dean at Treehouse and be like, hey, Dean, we're podcasting about you guys. And he would be like, sweet. And he, I don't know, Dean's the coolest guy in the world. I just, I want to have sort of a, I want to shift the conversation to a meta conversation about, the process that I'm going through specifically and that you are now sharing with me, which is I know that my podcast really isn't that good, but what is the actual like setup that gets more listeners, regardless of whether the content is good? Because I listen to podcasts that have a million listens a week and they're really not that good either. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I'm just, I, I don't know. I know that's off topic, but it's an interesting. No, I think it's a great topic though, in the sense of you're looking for, people to get excited about you and them being able to interact with you without without having to actually be there with you do you know what i mean yeah and that's a weird rope to walk because getting people excited about you is an uncomfortable position to put yourself in sometimes yeah sometimes for sure i mean it was like we were down in cape cod before we went out to santa barbara you know we we're at sarah's parents and one of sarah's younger brother's friends um, is a cop and uh, he's, you know, he said, hey, man, I saw the post on Facebook that you put up, and I listened to your podcast. And he's like, you guys are fucking funny. And I was like, thanks. And he's like, when's the next one coming out? And I was like, well, I don't know. There's, like, some, some ones from before. And he was like, oh, shit, I'll check those out. Because he's got free time on his hands. Well, free time in the sense, like, he's sitting in a squad car doing paperwork or doing whatever. And he's like, I got, you know, all the time in the world to listen to podcasts. Right. And, like, he was going around. We, we were there because... Sarah's grandpa died and whatever at the funeral in the wake and he's like at the wake talking to other people about my our, our podcast <laughs> and people are coming up to me like I didn't know you had a podcast what's the link send me the link and I'm like what the hell but I guess people are just kind of interested in stuff that they find exciting or people they find interesting or whatever so the more the moral of the the idea is just tell people like, I haven't really put it out there that I'm even doing this with you other than that one blast on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. But, like, I might put a sign up at the bar that's like, hey, Cocktail Hour with Giles. Check it out. Landline Podcast. 
Yeah, that's not bad. Because it's one of those you gotta get if you're if you're interested in doing this and like I've told you I've been thinking about like starting a few on my own because of all the crazy shit that happens here and you know, the conversations I have with people when the bar closes after hours and whatever and it's it's one of those if you don't have content, you don't have anything out there so nobody can actually listen. But if you get some content going and you start doing things on a regular basis and you have like, you know, a following that gets excited about you putting out a new show or who you're going to talk to next or what you're going to talk about next, it could, it could catch some steam. Like, there's a lot of, lot of people who are interested in, in having somebody who has an opinion that's not a total dick <laughs> right. give it and, and discuss things and, and discuss them with a rational head instead of, you know, putting religion or emotion or politics or whatever in the, in the front seat. Well, there's some theory in economics, which I just learned and have already forgotten, but I understand the concept, which is that, like, for instance, the Internet had no value until there were a certain amount of people on it. Mm -hmm. uh, because, who, you know, if you're the only one on the Internet, who are you going to talk to? Yeah, yeah, what's your audience? <laughs> yeah, and, well, not only that, but, like, you can't email anyone because you're the only one there. So you needed, there needed to be a certain amount of network connectivity there needs to be an established network that is attractive to people. And I think a similar idea is the idea of like, okay, you can get 50 people to listen to your podcast. Then I wonder the next benchmark could be like 500. And I wonder tracking that, and I'm sure I could just look up and see and figure all this out, but I don't do things like that. Yeah. Um, that there's some benchmark where it's like you get to 1,000 and then the next step is 10,000 because of... Yeah, no, I mean, they say that about Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, like there's certain levels and like milestones you hit, like all of a sudden you hit, I think it goes like 250, 500, 1,000, 5,000, and then 10 or 15, whatever it is. But it's like an exponential thing. Like the more followers you have, obviously the more people that they're going to either share with or expose to it. And there's a whole algorithm for it. And um, somebody was showing me how one of these like Instagram stars went from, you know, like 500 followers to 50,000 followers in a month or something. And it was all about like how they tagged people and they, they were talking with people or they took people like pictures with interesting people who had, you know, 50,000 followers themselves and then retagging and sharing and all that shit. And it's, it's pretty crazy like how effective a lot of that stuff can be. Unfortunately, with the point of the program being to be on a landline, like the, 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 <laughs> The core of my idea is to get people to have more like long form conversations, have landlines, talk to friends, make their kids call parents' houses when they're 13 so that they can't text their girlfriend or whatever. Mm -hmm. That if you start to just capitalize or, you know, take up all your time being on Twitter and Instagram, you're basically just like shooting yourself in the foot sort of, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's the weird, it is, it's like the hipster's dilemma. You've heard of the prisoner's dilemma. Well, this is the hipster's dilemma, which is... You want to make money off your idea, but you don't want to sacrifice its authenticity by promoting it too much. And I think that that's like at the core of trying to spread the good word about living a simpler and yeah. more locally supportive life without like just becoming a viral video on Facebook. Yeah, it's like how effective is your connectivity actually in terms of the relationships you're building with people? Yeah. Like somebody you've never met and will never meet who likes your photo on Instagram somehow provides some weird gratitude, even though are you actually inspiring or affecting that person in one way? I don't know. Weird. Oh, so martinis, huh? Martinis. They're such a beautiful drink. 
Especially when they're done right and they just look pretty and the glass is clean and, you know, the simple things. My big thing is the glass has got to be cold. I want that glass ice cold. I will watch a professional bartender at a steakhouse put a martini in a warm glass and I want to burn the place to the ground. It's just, yeah. it's not okay with me. It depends on, the, you know, it, yeah, it depends on a lot of things. There's times where I'll definitely ice down glasses and do the soda water thing. And then there's times where I don't because it depends on what the drink is. What's the soda water thing? You put a little ice in a martini glass and then throw soda water on it, and it chills the glass like extremely rapidly. Mm. I'm not sure why. I'm sure there's some science behind it that I know nothing about, but it's definitely a true, true statement. But I wanted to say one more thing about the podcasting stuff. You know, it's you got me turned on to Adam Carolla when we were first friends. You know, however many years ago that was, and I listen to him occasionally, not regular, well, regularly maybe. But I got into Joe Rogan lately, and his shit is fucking funny. But the best part about it is he interviews ridiculously interesting people. Like, yeah. people who have a lot to say. They're very eloquent. Like, they're, they sound intelligent and usually are extremely intelligent people who have made, you know, a lot of money in the industry. He's in, you know, in comedy and TV and whatever. And they're successful. But, you know, these two guys always say, like, thanks for telling a friend. And, you know, they have interesting people on their shows. And those people then say to all their followers and friends, like, hey, I'm going to be on this show. And it, even if it only gets, you know, 1% of the people who listen for the first time to listen again, that's still huge. Right. Because all these people have mega amounts of followers on all of these social media platforms. Well, it's having time to, to make it all happen, too. And that's, I think, it's not about me doing it more. It's about me designing a world for myself where I can do it easily and efficiently and then consistently as a result of setting up that program. And that's kind of one of my philosophies of life, which is it's not about necessarily everyone's like, well, you just got to do it. You just got to do this. You know, people are like, I want to exercise more. I want to eat right. I want to do I want to learn to play the piano. I want to do all these things, anything. You know, I want to do X and everyone's always struggling to do more of this, that and the other thing. Mm -hmm. Really, if you could figure out a way to actually organize yourself to allow yourself to more easily say yes to that thing, that's the key. For instance, I want to shart, start. I want to shart. I want to shart more, and I think what I need to do is start eating more oatmeal. No, I. I want to start shooting food videos. I want to start yeah. shooting three-minute food videos, and in my perfect world, there would they would be coming out like constantly, like not even once a week, but once. Once every weekday because I have – every day I have a new piece of information pop into my head that usually is entertaining to people. I know it. I'm at business school right now and I'm making people laugh constantly and I'm saying – because you're a goofball like me. I'm saying things in class that are making people interested. So um, – No, you're putting a funny spin on a lot of serious shit. Like you said when we talked before, like you didn't know in the beginning like how – you know, comfortable and and uh, okay with things your classmates were going to be if you made jokes about serious business issues. Right. Because some of these people don't have a sense of humor. It's true. So so how do I shoot more videos? Well, one thing is like, well, you just got to come home every day and shoot a video. Well, instead, my solution is going to be over the next few weeks while I'm here and I don't have school, I'm going to set up my kitchen so that it's a production studio. So that the camera is in its place, the lights are in their place, the power cords are in their place. They don't need to always be there, 
But when I want to shoot, all I need to do is plug everything in and press record, yep. right? And then set my editing studio up in a similar way so that I know how it all can quickly get done. But even more than that, I'm going to actually, and this is what any professional would do, so hopefully no professionals are listening because they'll roll their eyes and turn the <laughs> podcast off. But organize the shot list on each episode to be exactly the same. So you yep. start with the B-roll of outside, whether it's snowing or raining or cold or the foliage or the spring or whatever. You're going like full Mr. Rogers neighborhood with this shit. Yeah, well, you got to, right? How like else do you make – <laughs> yeah, I will. Like, like button up cardigans? You should, dude. And then you put your apron on? Oh, man. But I think it's got to be exactly the same, and I think that people like that. I mean, I think people like the structure of their programming to be similar, and at least that enables me to be like, I know what I need to do, and if nobody likes it after six months, fine, but at least yeah. I've put out six months' worth of content and discovered that rather than just being like, I know people will like what I have to say when I'm working in the kitchen. I'm going to make a web video. And everyone's like, yeah. you should do it. Good job. Well, you know what you should do? This is my one thought when you said all this. is You should bust out like 10 things at once. Right. On a, like sun, should, on a you Sunday. You got it set up. Yeah. You got it ready to go. And you're only talking about doing three-minute things. So like those shots and all that stuff, if you got everything lined up, you could easily bust out like 10 of those in the time that it would take you know, you know, you to do two or three single ones. It's true, and maybe I just need to do like them all on Saturday afternoon and Sunday yeah. morning. And then that way you have the content, and you can edit it and put it out whenever you want. But at least you have what you need to then make the next step. Right. It's true. I need a yeah. I mean, I, I can. T now here's the question: How yeah. do I make? I need to find somebody to edit it all for me, and because that's the thing with these podcasts. Like, I'll sit here and talk into this microphone and talk to you about martinis and talk to you about you know, crazy people at bars, whatever it is we're talking about, ISIS, and then and then just, like, be like, great job, Alex, like, press, you know, open Apple S and close the computer and, like, go off with my day. But, like, actually getting in there, editing it, all that stuff, I do, but it, it's not as, it doesn't come as easy to me. So I wish I could just, like, email the file to someone and have it do, and have them do it for me, which is what my graduate professor is doing to me, and that's how I'm getting a discount on grad school because I'm the producer for his podcast. But with video, it's going to be even more labor-intensive. I mean, that shit is going to take time, and I don't have the money yeah, to... Yeah, but I feel like the new tools with the new Apple shit is so simple. It's just about that learning curve of, like, figuring out how everything works, and then you're fucking good at it. You know? It's like watching my wife use Adobe Photoshop to do design work. Yeah. And I just my head just explodes. Because she just presses buttons, and then shit appears, and it looks fucking good. And you're like, what? Yeah. You know, it's that sort of, it's all learning curve. It's all, uh, yeah, I just got to be some program that you can get. And oh, yeah, I can, I can get it. It's just me not being lazy. It's like me wanting to do well in school, be a good husband, shoot videos, and, like, drink martinis on a Wednesday night. You know, yeah. you can't do it all. You should be able to, though. <laughs> How's parenting? Do you have any, do you want to, do you want to, like, have any one major complaint about parenting? No, man, my kid's fucking sweet. He's awesome. I just put him down for a nap before I called you. Millions Wait, of parents read, like, you know, hate your guts. seven books. Nice. Awesome. The Giving Tree. Remember The Giving Tree from Shelf Silverstein? I think I do. Yeah, it's a great book. No, he, I'll, I'll give you a good parenting complaint. There are some fucking twisted children's books. Ooh, tell us more. Totally, totally weird and, and sadistic and, and, like, retribution is one of the 
themes. Like, it's really weird. Like, there's this one book called the, the Mole Who Went in Search for Who Done It, and it's a children's book. So there's, you know, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you exactly what happens. The mole wakes up and somebody's pooped on him. So he's, like, going around asking all the animals who pooped on him. And they're, like, pooping and saying, well, it's not my poop. My poop looks like this. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's, like, the premise of the story. So then, excuse me. So then he runs into the fly. And the mole's like, yo, fly, whose poop is this? And the fly's like, I know whose poop this is. He goes right over to the dog, and he's like, it's this guy's. And then the mole goes and climbs on the dog's head and poops on him. Look, what the fuck kind of lesson is that? That's a terrible terrible lesson to teach children like oh somebody does something bad to you you just go back and do them they might as well just have made it mafia characters and it was like jimmy's brother tony got whacked (laughs) so jimmy went and whacked bobby and that's how we do it in queens it's ridiculous and then oh so these children's books dude if if you can't write a children's book don't write it but they come up with these stories that are just terrible terrible it's awful, like these O oh, David books. Have you seen these? No, I. I mean, just wait till you have a kid. Man. Spoiler Hold alert for you: I haven't like been shopping for yeah, but you kids have books. Seen these things? You have friends who have kids, right? Or am I the only one? No, I have one friend who has two kids, two boys. I have another one who's pregnant, and I have maybe a third, you know, friend who just had a baby. We don't see each other that often. I think it's a pretty poor showing for my core group of friends in terms of kids. I think we're all really, really selfish, to be honest yeah, with well, you. Yeah, that's okay. It'll happen. You'll all get really you know, worried about dying alone, and you'll all have kids in the next five years. Right, and we're all like, going to rely on science to fix our problems when they exactly. arise. Exactly. Um, so yeah, kids' books terrible. And then I discovered the other day that somehow into the mix of my, my son's pajamas got slipped these and I swear to God, there's a conspiracy. Uh, these creationist um, pajamas. They're like the footed onesie things with the zipper. And I was like looking at it the other day, and I just thought it was all dinosaurs, you know? Dinosaurs and an exploding volcano. And then I start looking at it a little bit more. The damn thing has woolly mammoths all over it. So it's going to confuse my child in the sense that he's going to think that the dinosaurs and the woolly mammoths live together. And that the world, you know, only started 15,000 years ago, and that's when all this shit went down. Is that what it says in the book? That's what it says in the Bible. But who gave you the book? No, this isn't book. These are pajamas. Oh, and who gave you the pajamas? I don't know. Probably one of the grandmas. Are but they... that's not the point. They weren't, I don't think they were aware of the conspiracy that's taking place. Do you think that the creationists are just trying to get in on everyone early with these pajamas? I'm sure they bought them at, like, Macy's or... Marshalls or one of those places, which has to have ties to Walmart somehow. And those people are religious nuts. So, I don't know, man. It's creepy. I feel like there's these subversive messages that are just popping up all over in my kid's shit. And, and I'm realizing them because I'm an adult. But as a child, you just be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's how it is. Do you worry about your kid having the right worldview? Or is that you think it'll all work out? I think he'll be okay. He's already been to Europe more times than most of my friends from back home, so. I feel like most... He's good. He's he's socialized. I feel like most kids pretty much just become who they're... some amalgamation of their parents, so if you feel like... But then some kids, like me and my brother, we're nothing like my father. Well, in some ways. But, I don't know. Are you turning into your dad? 
Yeah, I'm, but but I think I've been my dad since I was like six. No, okay. No, but I mean, I think I'm also the crazy parts of my dad. So there you go. I, I I'm more saying that you know if you're well adjusted, which we we're saying you are, the world is saying you are, right. then I think your kid will be <laughs> fine. Um. All right. Well, I want to completely change subjects. Yep. Where do you do your laundry? So we don't have a washer and dryer. That sucks. So I went to the laundromat today. Is it, what type of laundromat is it? It's just a basic laundromat it, that like is out of a movie about depressing things. It's got washers and dryers. It's still coin op, or it's got the swipe card. Coin op, and oh, now okay. I will so say, it's like a dreary old school. One impressive part of it is that the coin, you know you're in, in a real laundromat when the coin machine will take a 20. Yeah. And that's a lot, and that's all I had. So, I, so you know, it's the, the story of the laundromat has been told time and time again, so I don't need a board. It's, a, you know, in a, uh, a, the type of people you think were at the laundromat were there, including me and I, there are other people like me. There's different people. There's the guy who walked from his apartment with his backpack, who's like looking at everyone crazy. And there's the young families and et cetera, et cetera. Um, a romance novel somewhere in this story? No, but it costs 25 bucks. To do your laundry? Yes. Holy fuck. Now we had not done our laundry in probably two weeks. It was really the bottom of the barrel. And I did all the sheets, all the towels. All right. So you're talking like eight loads. Well, it was in two six twenty five washers and a five dollar washer, Damn. and then I had another probably six bucks worth of drying to do. Did you say a washer that costs six dollars and twenty five cents? Six seventy five. Is it huge? It's huge. There's even okay. one that costs eight bucks. It's great. I mean, it was probably we had like eight loads of laundry that were being done. We had a big party the other night, which involved 100 oysters that we shocked. So there were some pretty dirty towels going on. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I also just finished my first quarter of business school. So I made a spreadsheet about the cost of um, the laundromat over the course of the year. So I said that here are my assumptions. You always put you want to put your assumptions either at the top or the side of your spreadsheet so that you can reference them. Yeah, okay. so you don't you don't want to just write in numbers. You want to make sure that you're doing like one cell times the other. That way, if you want to manipulate your formula or manipulate your numbers, that all of the results will change. A little key for Excel there for Excel 101. Make some assumptions. So um, I said that I said that there would be 36 annual visits to the laundromat. I felt like that was a pretty that's 70% of the number of weeks. So we usually go once a week, but it's like once every 10 days. Exactly. I seem I think that that's reasonable. I said that the cost per visit was $23. Now, do we think that that's a high number? Should I mean should I say seems, it's I mean knowing that what your shit costs that seems low. Well, it was two it was, loads of wash and two dries. That's like twenty something bucks, right? Well, so it was like this was three loads of wash and three dries, and that was I think twenty five. So, why don't know. And then, but there's also the detergent, which I know seems low, but I mean those things. It's like eight bucks for a thing of detergent. You probably can get through five or six, so you're getting you know maybe ten of those. It's another eighty bucks a year. 
Um, all right, I'm going to say it's just an even 20, plus the gas to drive down there. It's not very far away. Plus, what's your time worth? Right. So I said hours per visit. You're in business school now. you got to think about your productivity. So 2.5 hours per visit, I said. And then, because there's also the folding when you get home. Like, we don't fold in the laundromat. We try to spend the least amount of time in the public as possible. So that's going to be the attack ad to run against me when I run for, you know, state senate is that I hate being with the public at a laundromat. So, I, you know, you sort everything at the house, put it in the back of the car in the sheets, ride it in, get it in the machine as much as possible. Luckily, it was a sunny day, 50 degrees out. I could stand in the uh, parking lot and text and call people. All right, so two and a half hours. And then I said that the opportunity cost per hour was $25 an hour. Now, my wife is getting paid nicely for some of the projects she's doing and a little bit less for other projects, but still more than $25 an hour. She's getting paid well. I'm a student, but ultimately my time is probably worth this summer at an internship around $25 an hour. So could I be making that $25 an hour if I wasn't at the laundromat? No. But I could be working on this, which ultimately might make me $25 total 20 years from now. Or I could be working on an actually a good business idea and, you know, rolling equity into that for when I graduate. So so I thought, you think 20 is fair? Sure. All right. So, so the cash cost per year is $720. That's, that's, just, that's just in quarters and tied, quarters and tied. And then the opportunity cost per year is $2,250. Dude, you need to buy a washer and dryer. That's what I'm saying. So I think that I should give us like a $600 budget. Go on Craigslist, man. You can find crazy shit. Fuck, you guys don't have roommates or anything, right? You got the whole place yourself? The whole place. Uh, I was going to say, you can, buy, you can find coin-op washer and dryers on Craigslist for like 300 bucks. Well, and then we can just get the quarters. I mean, you just get get a couple rolls of quarters and just do it yourself. I mean, well, if they're if, paying yourself, it'd be like a treat. At the well, end you of the year. just, it's like when you have your own soda machine. You just open the, the thing at the bottom and it just exactly. goes around. You and, get the key to the video games and you just keep pumping one quarter through. Yeah, so we, we, we should talk about your video game. So, um, so, yeah, I think that that is just a little lesson for everyone. There's $40,000 worth of business school for everyone. Really sit down and take the time to figure out what something is actually costing you because I think that that's the number one thing our generation does not do. What is this actually costing? We're all pretty cash poor, or a lot of us are. And so what we do is just kick the can down the road, just keep renting an apartment when we should be buying, keep you know putting things on credit cards and paying the 14 to 25%. People need to start figuring out how they can get the lowest possible interest rate on the money that they need right here and now and then make the big capital purchases which save them money in the long run again i'll give you a time to chime in here i know i'm really on a roll but i also just switch switch to cricket wireless which is which is the burner cell phone group that runs on the at&t network it's the exact same towers I went from paying $180, $185 for two cell phones on T-Mobile, which included like the cost of renting a iPhone for both of us, which was going to take like three years to pay off at $23 a month or whatever. And just I paid out the balances for both cell phones and then got Cricket, and now it's going to be between $75 and $80 a month. So 
after five months of saving $100, my phones will be free and clear or, you know, I've made up the difference. And then I'll just be paying another, you know, $80 less a month or $100 less a month. And, And obviously they were charging me interest. So these, again, start thinking about these things, people. Yeah. I mean, it's not until you realize that, like, your time is super valuable because you're getting paid a lot of money to do something else. I think that's what it takes. It takes something happening where you make a ton of money doing something and therefore it's better off that you do that most of the time and not have to worry about other things. Like I remember a guy I had in school who was like from Boston and was one of the guys who started the first microchip factory in in China. And he hadn't driven a car in 20 years or something. And he was like, because I pay people to drive cars because you know what I can do while that dude's driving the car? I can write a speech that takes 30 minutes that somebody's going to pay me $5,000 to do. Wow. And it was just like, that's fucking amazing. And he's like, yeah, but I'm 65 now. And that all started 25 years ago. You know, like for our generation, you're saying, you know, we have all these issues with money and whatever, but like until you come into it, of course you're going to have issues with money. You know, like if you don't have a great job to start, then you're not going to be making a ton of money, but that's how the world works. Like you don't just get out of college. Maybe that's the problem. People get out of college now and they're like, oh, I should be making fucking $65,000 a year. No. Like, that's just not how it works. Right. Well, for instance, what we have done to really overexpose myself is we had like a decent amount of credit card debt and we just got one of those online lending things, which are legitimate, where they match you up with a lender. You know, it's like another person. And we got the balance of all our credit cards in one loan, paid them all off pretty much obviously there's still some left over because this is always the case with being a 32 year old idiot um and got the interest rate from in some cases as high as like 30 percent because of some bullshit you know promotional card we said yes to i mean just like basic idiotic stuff that only people who are not me should be doing and just got short-sighted about this yeah i mean it's just because of greed and basically because of lack of discipline but ultimately like getting the cost of debt down as low as it can go you know and then ultimately just knowing that they're automatically going to take that amount of money out of your account every single month and it turns out that if i'm not responsible enough to pay my credit cards on time like i should be that it's better that someone just takes it out automatically and i'd rather have just one lender taking out the entire sum from all four or five credit cards so those are the little steps that like, I mean, have you guys had any experiences with running a small business where you just realized like finally that you ripped a bandaid off that you wish you had done years ago and you're, you feel like you feel accomplished as a result of it in terms of like organizing finances? Yeah. I mean, it's always a crapshoot around here though, because like you said, like we talked about in the beginning, everything's so seasonal. So you don't know how even the winter goes until the winter's over and you can go back and look at all your costs and look at all your, you know, your revenue and then make a comparison. Right. So you can't, you can't do it in the moment. That doesn't do you any good because you could be saying, oh, we're killing it. And it's the middle of February thinking, oh, you're going to have an amazing winter. And then the next thing you know, it's St. Patrick's Day and it's 85 degrees outside. Well, what do you do about staff? Like, do you tell people to like stay, like, do you have a relationship with your staff where you can tell them to stay home if you're not busy and they, I mean, that's a hard thing. You have, like, if people have a job with you, then they have to ha- get work, right? That was one of the reasons we got rid of the restaurant was that whole issue of, like, having to cut people and, 
like not being able to keep your word being like hey you got this shift and that's like a restaurant problem like hey you got this shift but if nobody comes in then you don't make any tip and then you you know on waitresses wage it's like damn right i just stood there and didn't do anything right i don't know it's tough dude so do you do you guys pretty much like run the whole thing by yourself now yeah basically and do you have someone do the cleaning uh no we've taken that over too nice so you're just lean and mean, and you get to you get the upside if there is one, and you have to deal with the downside if there is one. Yeah, I mean it's all about you know delegation and, and trying to make sure that everything gets done in a timely and uh, efficient manner. And how do I mean, maybe this is a topic for another cocktail? And I think I'll probably just make myself. I've decided I'm going to go the martini route, and nice. that's going to be my choice. And when I make myself a martini, I'll just do the. Maybe I'll call you yeah. back and we'll have a little coda. Um, I'll call you at the bar and you can tell me what's going on for 10 seconds. Um, yeah. How is running a business with your wife? It's unbelievable. Like good? And bad. Yeah. <laughs> I think we actually have to be drinking to really get into that. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a topic for another show. But, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. It's really good in some senses and then in other senses – you know that it's a negative thing, but at the same point, you don't want to admit that it's a negative thing. So it's all about, like I said, delegation and knowing your responsibilities and taking care of your shit to make sure that that doesn't become an issue in like the personal side. You know that like classic cliche of you, well, the best example I can think of recently is watching a panel of chefs at Babson give their opinion on something. But the, the cliche of like, well, if there's one piece of advice I can give you, it's don't open a restaurant. And everyone's like, ha, 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 ha. Um, and I feel like opening a business with your spouse is a similar cliche. People are like, if there's one thing I could do different, it would be to not run a business with my... But what, tell us the flip side of that. I mean, like, you are doing it. And so it can be done. And I'm not sure it, it's like remarkably different than having shitty days at work when you don't like i know it's different but isn't there a trade-off for everything like you guys have the same schedule you get to like have the same triumphs when they are triumphs yeah we take care of our kid full-time your your best friends yeah so do you like like more broadly why do you think people always say that stuff instead of being like if you want to do this you can but here are the things you should know (sighs) Because everything's not for everybody, maybe? Is that a, a good way of putting it? Like, there's certain things that you like to do that I probably think are dumb, and vice versa. Right. You know, like, it's not... It, it's, it's that idea of, like, you make your bed, so sleep in it. You know, if you want to change that, then change that, and there's nothing stopping you from changing that. But if it works, and it's, you know, bettering your life or making, you know, uh, a situation more livable and uh, enjoyable, then why not do it? a matter of like who who even gets that opportunity though you know like you normally when people meet each other they're clearly you know at our age at least have careers probably so they already have something that they spend 50 to 70 hours a week doing to get paid that has nothing to do with that other person right you know we just happen to be in the situation where we've moved back together from Italy. we started this together and we've basically run it together since yeah but it's you know, the, if you're looking for that one piece of advice, you know, and this is I, something I wanted to talk to you about because you guys were talking about it on your Patriots podcast and I thought it was hysterical, is uh, people being short-sighted. And, like, that's something with our generation, like being short-sighted about money, being like, oh, well, I can just use this interest-free credit card now 
and it's not going to affect me later. And then, like you said, you got some weird thing that's all of a sudden you got 30% interest or whatever. And <clears throat> what I was thinking about is, you guys were talking about the trick play that Belichick ran. Did you get a chance to watch it? Watch it? Uh, no, I still have not watched the Ebner drop kick. I'm sorry. Okay. So it's the trick play idea, and it was like you guys were talking about maybe Belichick let Chip Kelly win, or is it is it some sort of trickery or whatever? And I feel like he's playing the long con, like yeah. showing people these plays because then they have to work defenses out to defend them. Right. They have and to be nervous about them. Sorry, go ahead. That takes a ton of time to do, to truly like observe an offensive formation and then figure out how to defend it, especially if it's something new or some trickery or whatever. That's not like an overnight fix. So it seems, I feel like he's just doing these things to fuck with everyone. Well, a great example of that that I did see is, did you see Brady, the the pass that um, I think Am- face through to Brady. Yeah, yeah, Amendola. Yeah. So Amendola, Brady, just to describe it for the listeners, Brady's at the, he's under center, and then he steps back like he's audibling and starts like, okay. starts uh, walking that over. Man. Are you there? Yeah, yeah, sorry, my wife is shouting at me. No, that's okay. Um, he's, okay, so he's under center. He looks over to the right side of the line like he's trying to change the play, and he starts to walk over to that side. And then they hike it to somebody else who's actually set up behind the ball. Correct. And then the whole right side of the field is open for Brady to run into the open space because they fake a reverse. But anyways, what I was thinking now is now every time he does that, before he snaps it, every time he walks over there, they're going to have to be on their toes looking for it, right? Just like well, you said. Because covers that. So then they're going to have to cover that side of the field, and that's going to leave another person open on the left side of the field. Sure. Not only do they have to cover the other side of the field, but they have to cover Brady. You have to account for Brady. Right. And that's the whole – I mean, if you get into deeper you know, NFL thought or you know, um, what's that stratagem, it's all about that somebody's got somebody at all times. You know, whether the defensive end has the running back coming out of the backfield you know, in a swing pattern or the linebacker has the – tight end breaking across the middle or the cornerback is man on with a corner or with a receiver somebody has to pick somebody up that's their responsibility they always call it like who's that responsibility so by doing these plays all of a sudden now you've got a linebacker who's in a situation of like well shit i'm on a i've got to spy brady if he starts walking away from the ball because he could go run a pass route that fucks with people it's true that really messes with people's heads because now you've, you've shown that you can do it, and not only that you can do it, but you can do it successfully. And that's, I think, what is great about the, the little squib kick thing he did is that it wasn't done successfully, and it fucked them. But it means that they did it and that they're willing to try it. And like you guys were saying, at a very inopportune, weird time. Well, it makes me think of – so business school, What what's the point of business school it, you know, at its core, everyone would roll their eyes and say, oh, it's for connections and so rich people can make more money and all this. Really, business school is about teaching you some like super important core principles. And so the goal of the professor at the end of a class, so we have mods, they're called, but they're basically half semesters, they're quarters. So the thing I just finished was a quarter. And at the end of each quarter, what is the professor really trying to do? They're really trying to make sure that the three, four, five things that you have to understand in order to leave their class with something that can be applied to business in general are understood. So you don't lose money. 
Yeah, to, or just so that you could even be be understanding of the next topic in that subject, if it's yeah. finance or whatever, economics. Just see, you know, in economics, it's like some basic stuff. It's, um, you know, pricing. It's obviously supply and demand. It's elasticity of demand. So just mm-hmm. concepts that are really applicable in life, which is like... And is, they're not complex, complex. Either. No, it's... Is this Let's a, all be honest about this shit. Yeah, it's, is this a price-sensitive product? Meaning if it goes up in 1% of price, how much quantity demanded will change? So right. if it's super elastic, it's going to go way down. If it's inelastic, you can hike the price. Anyways, so what do they do? Well, they tell you what's going to be on the final, for better or worse. They basically say, when they're doing the review, don't worry about that. That's not going to be on the final. And it's not to help you get a good grade. It's so that you can concentrate on excelling in those X number of categories they want you to learn. So, NFL games are not business school. And I think an expansion of what you're saying about Belichick is that he's basically making the other team wonder what they need to study for. Yeah, so they sure. they have a one week from the time their first games their last games over until the next game starts against the Patriots to try to get their heads around every possible opportunity on offense, defense and special teams. And if you he will strike I mean, you're not going to strike on those long passes down the field to Brandon LaFell because those look ridiculous. But you have a team that can score on any play. So he's occupying their time, basically. He's taking up their time and making them a less efficient business. That's kind of what I always said about telemarketers. People are like, I'm going to hang up on telemarketers. If we really wanted to screw telemarketers, everyone around the world would start picking up the phone and talking to them for like 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Because then they would have no productivity in getting to the call of the person who's willing to be scammed. Mm -hmm. So if you can take people's time up, it screws them over. And that's kind of the business lesson from what you're trying to say about Belichick. Yeah, and it's it's clearly – he's clearly doing it for a reason. He's too good of a coach, and I hate talking positively about the Patriots because I just have to sit in this fucking – land of patriotism in the sense of the patriots not america where everybody wants to talk about it and then they want to know how i feel as a packers fan and it's like (laughs) but he's too good of a coach he's too smart he's too he's too many steps ahead of everybody all the time and i feel like he's setting something up like he's just and there's going to be a big ha-ha fuck you moment in the playoffs where they win by like 63 to 10 or something I you know, like he's kicking onside kicks and they're up by 35 points. <laughs> I hope so. Because that's the type of dude he is. Yeah. It is. He, and he loves he, he loves not letting anyone know about it and just like being such a dick about it too. Oh, he's so good at it though. He's so like when the guy asked him what like how long Gronk was going to be out or what was the diagnosis and he just stared him down. He didn't even respond at the press conference. He didn't even answer the question. He just stared at the guy. Well, he has gotten really good at basically he knows exactly all the things that they can ask. And then he says a really crappy answer to all those questions in his statements. And then he can basically say he can just reference back that statement as the answer. He can be like, we're going to put the best players on the field that we give us that we think give us the best chance to win. And then they're like, why did you play so and so over so and so? And he's like, because it gave us the best chance to win. So it's like he does. He's kind of. He's actually sort of a. He's a logician in a way. 
you really it's very hard to like penetrate his logic because he doesn't play the game of being like an oversharer the way everyone else does maybe he doesn't even have the logic he just knows that like if he does crazy shit in this league there's so much money involved that people are going to freak the fuck out because yeah your team is your team is beat to shit yeah it's true and and god bless your defense like your offense lost that game for your team you know like if you had said hey the offense of the Eagles is only going to score 14 points against the Patriots. Who's going to win that game? Well, and I mean, and, and special teams, and special teams. Yeah, but that, but, but the you're right. You're right. Your you're defense. right. No, but, I mean Brady lost the game. If you really want to boil it down, he, nah, he well, he threw game, it. But... He threw a 90. He, yeah, the the offensive plan lost the game. They didn't right. they didn't execute in a way that would have just managed it to like an ugly law. Uh, I mean, ugly. They did for the first two. I mean, for the first half, basically. Right. They should have been playing for an ugly victory. They should have just been playing for a victory. It who cares if it's ugly or not. Right. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Uh, I guess I, got Texans. Yeah. Who, the Packers have said, oh, I'm going to be watching the Packers tomorrow against Dallas. Dallas, Cowboys, Tundra. The for, evening game, 425. All right. I'll, I'll be I'll be probably half in the bag. Um. All right. Well, I think, I think we should close it up right here. This is... Be good and be gone, and we should just save it for the next two before uh, New Year's. For sure, my man. Um, I love your martini. So just to re- recap, so we remember it's cocktail hours with Giles. We have an actual point, which is I'm going to get some vermouth. Now, are you a Noily Pratt or a Poissy guy? Uh, Tribuno. Uh, Pouilly Fousse. No, what's the other one called? Tribuno, Noelle Pratt, there's a third guy, anyways. Oh, um, uh, Martini Rossi. Yeah, Martini Rossi. Now, the, no, tri- I wish that they should Although be... Although, Martini Rossi, dude, on a, just to interject real quick, in Europe, they've got the fucking greatest lineup of vermouths. There's like nine of them. Mm. It's crazy. I'll figure out how many they have, and I'll, we'll talk about it next time. Because I wish they would sell tiny bottles of vermouth because vermouth isn't expensive it's sick they do. they'll sell you uh they sell like um, a nip liter ones yeah but still like you can't hipper, like a hipper flask you can't get through that much vermouth unless you're cooking basically no you make enough martinis and people like them wet or you're straining off enough you can i heard that a, i heard old vermouth is a bad for a martini i think mario batali wrote that in new york magazine old vermouth yeah, or New York Times Magazine. Yeah, oh, like because people never use it, so it just sits around. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that, and that can really like get to be in a place that ruins the taste of a martini. But so I'm gonna pour the vermouth on ice. Yep. I'm gonna let it sit. No, I'm gonna shake it. Well, I'm, I mean, let it sit for a couple I'm seconds. I'm gonna shake it. it. I'm gonna times, strain it all off. Then I'm gonna add my gin of choice. Mm-hmm. Then I'm gonna add, in my case, the olive juice. Yeah, and that just depends on how dirty you want to be. You can go like Britney Spears dirty, or you can go Lindsay Lohan dirty. But one one way or the other, it's gonna be dirty. God, I, can I get them both at the same time? Oh, and then you're just gonna have a bowl of olive juice. It's the best night of your life, but you are gonna die six months later. Yeah, well. Um, and then. You are going, to, and then I'm going to strain it into a very cold glass, mm-hmm. which in my case might be a wine glass because I don't have a martini cool. glass. But it, you know what? Don't do any ice and water then. If you're going to just use a regular glass and you know like you have plenty of time before you're going to make the martini, put it in the freezer or put it in the fridge. All right. There you go. There you go. That's a simple trick too because then you don't get the condensation and you don't have the wet glass from the water and 
you don't have you know your hands are touching it and all that jazz it stays colder now where do you stand on a gibson gibsons are sick man you can make a good gibson you all it's all about the onions though i made a gibson in norwich vermont for some friends when i was home about a month ago I was telling them all they were so delicious. We were at a friend's parents' house that they were gone. We're all having a party. It was great. Tons of martini glasses. So we load them all up and a ton of gin. So I was like, let's do this. And the onions, I think, were probably 9 to 13 months old. And I was I had to like drink like three Gibsons just so that we didn't pour all of them out because people were not drinking these down. So, I mean, there's another here's a, there's a hipster product idea for any hipster product people out there making hipster Gibson onions. Mm. Yeah, like different flavored pickled onions. Totally. That's not a bad idea. You could bottle those. Not a bad idea. You but could you, get. Hey, here's the question about the Gibson. Do you put bitters in yours or no? No, I didn't even know you could. See, yeah, that's the thing. And then I heard. So there's this guy that comes in and gets Gibsons. He's the only guy who's ever come in here and gets them, but he gets them and he loves them. And he's like, we would do them different ways. And it was like, put the bitters in and then shake, or put the bitters in after you strained it, or don't put any bitters in. And it's weird. That onion brine, man, it's so strong. The bitters make a. They either give it that weird pungent bitters thing. And it's nice, and I think that was when we just dashed it over the top. But when you mixed it in and shook it, it was just not wasn't appealing. I think the other factor is that the types of onions that are like designed for Gibsons are like super over manufactured, like 1950s. Like I think there's a lot of sugar in that brine. It's Probably. like it's a pretty chemical brine. Like if you could get a good pickled onion. That's really the key. It's like a good olive makes a good martini. Fuck yeah. So Castel, Castel Veltrano olives. Those are the ones you should make martinis with. All right. You getting you're getting them in number ten cans up there. Fuck yeah, huge ones. <laughs> they just taste like butter. It's amazing. Mm. All right. Well, great job. Thanks for playing. And uh, it's been another good. exciting day on Landline. I'm gonna go walk the dogs and go to an hour and fifteen minutes of hot flow with Roxy. Dude, have fun. I'm about to open the bar. All right, good luck tonight. I'll, uh, bango, bango. Yeah, MF, uh, UFC 194 tonight. McGregor, Aldo, come on. Are you showing it at the bar? Oh, hell yeah. You think people will be there to watch? I don't know. There'll be people here because there's some people staying up at the condos and I got some buddies in town, but I don't care. I'm going to watch. The fight's going to be insane. The benefits of owning your own bar. All right, I'll call you when I'm halfway through my martini and we'll get the intro to this podcast. Fantastic, my All right, talk to you later. Later, brother. Bye. What do we talk about? We're in oh, the, what do we're, we talk about? We're we talk in about... the past, looking towards the future. Thanks for listening, everybody. Check out other shows at talkforaliving.com or on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash landlinepodcast. Spread the word, tell a friend, that's how we get people listening. 
We got episodes about cocktails. We got episodes about wine. We got episodes about football. We got episodes about student debt. We got episodes about living in Chile and teaching Koreans on the internet. I'm telling you, it's all here. Talkforliving.com. Spread the word. Tell a friend. And we will employ your services in the future. Thanks so much. Have a great day.